There's nothing better than getting another shot at a conversion. Sometimes people aren't ready to buy. I get that. I'm fine with that. But I always want another shot. Maybe when the time's better. Because it took a lot to get that person to the site. The search engines are getting ever pickier at the kind of content that they consider authoritative. You've got to work for it. Social media requires so much time to do it right, and most of the activity stays on the social media apps. Every online advertising source has gotten steadily more expensive, prohibitively expensive. It was Google, then Facebook, and then the Gram. Competition has driven up the cost of each of these in turn. And what do I have to show for it? A landing page bounce or a full shopping cart left abandoned on the side of one of my digital aisles. No, I want another shot. I've got a lot of choices when it comes to catching a wayward visitor. Exit overlays, live chat, and the BB-8 equivalent chatbots. I can try to get you to agree to push notifications. I can give you a discount in exchange for permission to send you a Facebook message. I can pout, I can cry, I can beg. But after almost four decades, the best choice is still that quaint old communication medium, email. Welcome to LPO, Landing Page Optimization, where we make marketers great using design, data, psychology, and attitude. Join our host, Brian Massey, best known as the Conversion Scientist, as he sits down with leading marketers to help you create campaigns that deliver. LPO, landing page optimization starts now. A lot of experts nowadays will tell you that you need to write really short emails because there's a statistic out there or this... Um, piece of data that says that, you know, our tension spans are that of a goldfish. I, I disagree with it. I think it's looking at your, it's a little bit belittling of your audience. Uh, it also gives marketers an easy way out. You know, we don't have to write great stuff. We just have to keep it really short. It's the original social media platform. Every year we hear about the demise of email and every year email is the new email. It still can't be beat for rich content, for conversations that feel one-to-one, -one, and for getting another shot at a future customer. While everyone was fawning over the sexy new kid, social media, good old email kept my readers close. Despite these new channels, the money is still in the list, and no algorithm change is going to take your list away from you. Yes, we may have abused our email privilege, but not by sending too much email. It's something else. To explore this, I've invited Liz Willits to join me. Liz is the Senior Content Marketing Specialist at AWeber, one of the OG email services. She is a self-proclaimed marketing nerd, and that makes her our kind of crazy. Liz doesn't think you're sending too much email, and she's got the data to prove it. So if we're not sending too much email, then what's keeping our email from being more productive? Here's Liz's take. Stay tuned for more landing page optimization once we optimize some exposure for our sponsors. It passes before it's noticed. A slight rising of the eyebrows, a widening of the eyes. It may be accompanied by an almost imperceptible inhalation. The heart adds a beat like a quiet exclamation point on the experience. 
Within a tenth of a second, the reaction has passed, but not without leaving its mark. Someone found what they're looking for. Does your website deliver impulses to act? It can. Intended Consequences is the podcast for digital marketers who see their job as changing hearts and minds. If you're frustrated, bored, or in a rut, it's time to spread your wings with me, Brian Massey, and my guests. Find out how successful, curious, creative, and data-driven marketers are making a difference on purpose. Visit IntendedPodcast.com or find us where you get your podcasts. Intended Consequences. Marketing on Purpose. Miami may be the sun and fun capital of the world, but it's also home to the largest literary festival in the U.S. Don't miss the Miami Book Fair, a week-long festival featuring more than 600 authors from all over the world with readings, signings, and panels capped off by a three-day street fair. Find books in English, Spanish, and Creole for every interest and every age, from biographies and novels to poetry and comics. This year, come meet poets Richard Blanco, Reginald Dwayne Betts, and Joy Harjo, award-winning novelists T.C. Boyle, Susan Choi, Edwidge Dentica, Taya Obrecht, Julie Orancher, Leonard Pitts, and Karen Russell, plus authors exploring issues of the day such as Eve Ensler, Alex Cutlowitz, Danny Shapiro, Daryl Pinckney, Ambassador Samantha Power, George Wilt, and hundreds more. Take the little ones to Children's Alley for hands-on activities, characters, and storytelling. Enjoy music, food, and fun for the whole family right on the downtown Miami-Dade College campus, November 17th to the 24th. For details, schedules, and tickets, visit MiamiBookFair.com. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. We're back to help digital marketers make great landing pages on LPO. Landing page optimization only on webmasterradio.fm. Liz, I always like to start off by understanding how you got to this place. What are the influences in your life and the uh, turns in the road on your journey that got you to this place at AWeber? I, it all started with the fact that I love to read. Always been a book nerd from a very young age. And I remember in high school thinking, how can I use this professionally? And so I decided to major in English when I went into college and um, quickly realized that when you major in English, everyone expects you to become a teacher, an English teacher. And uh, that is not what I wanted to do. Uh, so midway through college, I added a communications minor and took a bunch of business courses alongside my English major because I decided that marketing would be a great path for me to be able to read and write and use both the scientific and the artistic parts of my brain. And uh, content marketing was just starting to become a really big thing then, which was very convenient for me. So when I got out of college, I my first job was at a software as a service company, a SaaS company that um, created software for interior designers. 
And so I've uh, jumped into B2B SaaS right away and fell in love with helping businesses be more successful with uh, technology that just helps them reach more people and put their solutions in front of more people. Now, I just, I got to ask, so you're an English major, you're reading the classics, clearly you love to read lots of fiction and artistically crafted works, and then you end up in the yawn corporate communication side of things. Was there a difficult transition there? And how do you, how do you deal with that? I actually never found corporate communications boring, I think, because I've always worked for companies where I loved the product. Now, if I worked for like a really stuffy company, like, um, you know, a big opportunity for content marketers is in uh, pharmaceuticals. And that was never anything that interested me. And I think that would have been really stuffy to me and really boring. But when you work at tech companies, tech companies tend to be a bit more progressive. So, I get to try all kinds of things uh, throughout my career. I've had that opportunity and to be innovative because that's what tech companies are supposed to do. So it really um, didn't feel ever to me boring compared to English. And if anything, it was more exciting because I'm extremely competitive. And now there's this competitive angle of trying to reach uh, KPIs uh, for the company. One of the main things that we want to do on the show is make everyone comfortable with data, experimentation, a little bit of science. You just called yourself a nerd. Uh, how did you make that transition from English major to uh, I love data and it doesn't scare me and I, I want to spend all my time with it? Yeah. So I guess I would say that initially it did really scare me because I never considered myself like a data person or a math person. Um, I took business statistics in college and um, I think I didn't invest a ton of time in it, but I had a sort of a knack for it. But really what happened is once I joined the workforce, I had to figure out how to use GA. And I you know, didn't feel super comfortable with it at first, but kind of just came to it with the attitude of, I'll figure this out. You know, after working in marketing for a couple of years, then I fell in love with the numbers because it's so interesting to see where data will lead you and how data might be totally different than your preconceived notions or your bias. You know, I may think something in a marketing campaign will work a certain way based off my intuition, and then the data will tell me something entirely different. Uh, so I guess I think, you know, my love for data grew over time. And it wasn't something that I innately felt comfortable with initially, but that I now love and embrace. Because like I said, I love what I love about marketing is that it is both a science and an art, and you get to use both sides of your brain. And so the uh, Russian literature major out there that finds themselves in a marketing position, uh, is your advice to go get a, a log into analytics and start poking around? Yeah, definitely. Get a get a GA certification. Um, you know, Google has so many free resources out there. Um, yeah, check out Krista Seiden, uh, used to work at Google and is a Google Analytics expert. And she has a ton of resources on her blog that you can learn more about GA, but you can also just take their free classes. And yeah, so my recommendation with anything in your career is simply just go go figure it out. Um, go mess around with it on your own site, build your own site, install analytics, 
and start messing around with it. And the same thing with email marketing, you know, um, email marketing platforms all come with built-in analytics, or they should, and uh, start to test and see what works, what doesn't, try A-B testing. Uh, but really, you know, the best job for a new marketer is one where at a company where they're going to let them experiment. I love that. Go and try it. You're with Aweber. Aweber sends a lot of emails. You as the nerd get to see what's going on with those emails. And I am eager to hear what your take is from the data on all of the things that we wonder about as we're creating our emails. So what do you think is the biggest uh, misunderstanding out there? What do you see in the press that uh, maybe is misleading or what are some, what's something that would surprise us? So a lot of experts nowadays will tell you that you need to write really short emails because there's a statistic out there or this um, piece of data that says that, you know, our attention spans are that of a goldfish. Um, I hate that. And <laughs> yeah, I, I hate it. And I, I disagree with it. I think it's looking at your, it's a little bit belittling of your audience. Uh, it also gives marketers an easy way out. You know, we don't have to write great stuff. We just have to keep it really short. We don't have to create great podcast episodes. Just keep it really short. But that's not, you know, I, I, I analyzed a, a, th- a bunch of emails to find out what the average length of those emails was. And it was 434.48 words. 434.48 words. I love it when you have a point yes. four eight of a word. I know. I don't know how someone's going to write uh, an email with uh, 434.48 words. Uh, but that that ends up being around a 3.3 minute read. So it's pretty, it's it's relatively short. But I don't think short emails are the secret to success. I think so many marketers have been told that short emails are the secret to success that we're all writing short emails. But if you're actually a good writer, and this goes back to my background in English, so, you know, uh, of course I'm going to advocate for good writing, but if you're actually a good writer, it doesn't matter how long your emails are. And if you're actually putting valuable content in your emails, which you 100% should be, you can also get away with really, really long emails. So I found in my research that 11.4% of emails have more than 900 words, which is a much longer read time. I'm curious, do you have a sense for the higher performing emails that have higher click-through rates? Do, do, have you looked at what those links are? Yeah, I looked at that a bit. You know, for getting the higher click-through rates, it really varies. There's not, you know, a simple... Uh, solution to it, uh, other than I can tell you that value is super important. Uh, so, for instance, one of my favorite email marketers right now is Anne Hanley, and um, she has a newsletter called Total Anarchy, and it takes roughly 14 minutes to read Total Anarchy on average, but her click-through rates are insanely high, and her engagement is insanely high, even though she has this extremely long newsletter, but her newsletter is packed with all of this valuable content. Now, when it comes to shorter emails, an email with one link in it is always going to get a higher click-through rate than an email with four links because it, you know, psychologically, if you give your audience, if you give your subscribers one choice, uh, it is much easier for them to know what to do. They just click that one choice. So, And I see that through all my email testing. If you have one link, uh, you're going to get a much higher click-through rate. 
So uh, are you saying that we should go and uh, trim, trim out all the links in, in our emails to get better performance? It depends on your goal, I would say. So if you really want to drive someone to one page, don't put four links in your email. Um, now, other people send email newsletters where their goal is not to drive website traffic. It's not to close sales. It's to provide value and to build an audience and to build a loyal audience and to build a relationship. And in that case, you know, you can have as many links as you want. Uh, but if you're really focused, you know, making a sale, uh, let's say you're having a Black Friday or a Cyber Monday sale, having a million links in your email uh, could really hurt you. But it also depends on the type of your, your type of business. So if you're an e-commerce and you have multiple products you know, a digest style email with four different products and it may be more effective because one product might not be of interest to your subscribers, but the other three might be. One of the differentiators with our e-commerce clients that we always see is that those that are doing the best have figured out the email piece of it. And as much as we like to think that uh, uh, clever and branded uh, types of emails are what people want, it ends up being those promotional emails where there's specific product promotions in them that seem to do the best. Yeah, definitely in e-commerce for sure. I mean, that's why people sign up for e-commerce email lists. They're interested in the products. That's the advantage of e-commerce. People don't sign up for your email list in e-commerce or typically they don't. They don't sign up because they want some piece of education. They're interested in your products and often you offered them a 10% off coupon to sign up for your email list. And so we know that directly they are interested in your products because they want a coupon. So sending them the products is, you know, exactly what you should do in e-commerce. It's a little bit harder when you're in a service business. So we always come up against the fear that email is fading away, that email is what old people use, and we're always proven wrong. So we've been saying that now for uh, as long as I've been in in marketing and, and through social media and everything. Then something comes up that makes you start wondering, like, is email really going to work for me? And I, for me, the thing that cast the most angita was Google shuffling promotional emails into a separate folder. And, and now um, Outlook.com is doing that or Live.com, uh, Yahoo Mail is doing that. Uh, what are you seeing on your end in terms of, uh, if you would measure that by uh, open rates or uh, click-through rates, is that a problem? Is this, is this going to be the end of email marketing? I don't think so because, uh, from my perspective anyway, I always check my promotions tab. Um, you know, I am I am a different kind of person. So like I told you, I'm an email marketing nerd. But I think the the key to email marketing is to send emails your audience wants. And if your audience actually wants your emails, it doesn't matter if your emails in the promotions tab or the primary inbox are going to seek it out. Um, so for instance, if you send this really phenomenal newsletter and they know what day to expect it on, so they know it comes every Thursday, and then they don't see it in their primary inbox at the expected time on Thursday, if it's something they actually want to read, they're going to go check the promotions tab. Now, if you're in the promotions tab and you'd like to get out of it, uh, because there are, you know, you do tend to get higher open rates in the primary tab, it's true. One of the things you can do is ask people to drag your email from the promotions tab to the primary tab. And so I actually tell people in your automated welcome email, give your new subscribers 
the direction to drag your email over to the primary tab if it lands in the promotions tab. And Gmail has told us that when you do that, the future emails will end up in the primary tab. So that's a way to get around it. Google's algorithms, Yahoo's algorithms are extremely complicated and complex. Uh, the decision-making for how for whether your email goes to the inbox, to the spam folder, to the promotions tab, it is not simple. There is not an easy trick to land yourself in the primary tab. But the number one way to do it is to send emails your users want and expect. And that is the best way to reach the primary inbox. And people are always looking for an easy trick to always get in the inbox, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work like that, unfortunately. <laughs> an easy trick. I, I, I will tell you that there, there are um, uh, a few things that make it out of my promotional box. And it goes back to your previous comment. Great content. Like this was a great email. Um, and I study it. So great content gets, I click on that, uh, that flag that marks it as important and it goes into my main inbox. Um, people are doing that. People who are in the middle of a problem, people who love the products that you're selling, the, the category. I have friends who love shoes. I have friends who love um, hats. And those people are having those emails appear in their main folder. Talk a little bit about what we should be looking at. So you, you, we've, we've talked about two kind of broad areas of email. We've got the, I want people to get back to my website so that they can continue shopping, so that they can um, proceed down the funnel if I'm doing lead generation. And the other one is, uh, I really just want to educate them with my newsletter. I want to educate them with my content. Intuitively, click-through rate is what you would measure in the, in the previous one. What sorts of things would you look at to see how successful your newsletter is being if, if click-through rate isn't the primary goal? Well, I think you should definitely, definitely still look at click-through rate. Uh, so you're going to be looking at your cumulative click-through rate of all the links in your newsletter, but then also look at the click-through rates on each different link. Uh, so your email marketing platform should give you a breakdown of your overall click-through rate and then who is clicking on what links. Because if you have a certain article or piece of content that gets a much higher click rate in your newsletter, and let's say it's towards the middle or the bottom of the newsletter, which is not as good of landscape, then you know that that piece of content was of greater interest to your audience and it's going to help you choose the content you pick for future newsletters. How do you know who clicks on it? Uh, I think a lot of folks have a big list and uh, they partition off a certain portion of that list that are um, abandonment remarketing or that have a specific signal that they're sending to. But for the most part, it's going to the main body. So when you say understanding who's clicking on it, um, are you doing some sort of segmenting and is this pretty common? Yeah, so your email marketing platform should give you a breakdown. Uh, Aweber does this. It should give you a breakdown when you go into the analytics for that email of the individual subscribers who are clicking and what link they're clicking on. But yes, you can also pull segments of people. So you could pull a segment of people who clicked on the link in this last email, and then you could send them another email that is really relevant to that prior link they clicked on. So definitely, definitely recommend segmenting lit your list, but your email marketing platform should also be able to give you a breakdown when you're looking at your overall newsletter analytics, it should be able to give you a breakdown of 
which link is getting the most clicks, and then you can build segments off of off of that if that answers the question. Yeah, got it, got it. Well, subject lines are, of course, one of the most important parts of it, and. We tend to say, all right, if we've got good subject lines, we'll have good open rates. That isn't always my experience. Talk a little bit about open rates and when, if ever, we should give them much weight. I think marketers put way too much emphasis on uh, subject lines. Every time I go and speak at a conference or every time I'm on a webinar, people are always asking me how to increase their open rates. And at one level, it makes sense because if people don't open your email, then they're not going to be reading your content. Uh, So it is important. But the problem is that the way we track open rates universally in email marketing is that we have a tiny invisible image inside of the email. So if that image is seen, we track it as an open. But the problem is if someone in their inbox preferences has their inbox set so that they don't load images, they may open that email, but it won't get tracked as an open. So you may have a portion of your audience who open your emails every single time you send it, but it's not tracking as an open. So in, in the data that you found, why don't you, why don't you give us some guidelines for how to write emails? Most of the email service providers give recommendations any surprises in, in what you've seen in terms of what works, uh, length, uh, style? And I'm particularly interested in the effectiveness of starting an email subject line with a, a number because of what I've seen in our results where those tend to get the, the highest click-through rates. Yeah. So uh, I have seen with subject lines, when we're talking about increasing subject lines, and I know I just said, you know, you can't measure everything by your open rates, but subject lines are still important and you should look at benchmarks. So if your average open rate is something, if it's 25%, then you should be aiming to increase that 25% or at least hit it. Uh, So when it comes to writing good subject lines that get higher open rates, yes, numbers uh, are absolutely a great way to increase open rates. Any kind of listicle, uh, like seven ways to do X, So a subject line that starts with a number like that, that's going to be really effective. And right now, I've seen that short subject lines are very effective. So in my research, I found that only 10.9% of email experts send emails with subject lines of 20 characters or less. And 20 characters is really short. So most people aren't sending short subject lines. But that's actually one of the reasons I recommend sending short subject lines because you can stand out in the inbox because most people aren't doing it. And the other reason I recommend it is because 46% of emails are opened on mobile devices. And that's uh, actually research from from Litmus. And uh, most mobile devices will cut off your subject line at somewhere between 30 and 40 characters. So Anything over 40 characters is definitely getting cut off for your mobile readers. And so they're not even seeing your entire subject line. So that's why those are the two reasons I recommend testing really short subject lines right now. Because, again, it's rare. And secondly, it's friendly for your mobile audience. Yeah, I want to put you on the spot here. So give me an example of uh, of an effective subject line you've seen less than 20 characters. And you you can take a moment to think about this. Yeah, so I actually know someone off the top of my head. Brian Dean of Backlinko, 
he uh, is infamous for doing this, and he does it really effectively. And he said that it increases his open rates significantly. So he will have subject lines like blog posts. That'll be his subject line. Or he'll have another subject line that is email outreach. Uh, So he'll have these two words, subject lines, and they are under 20 characters almost all the time. And they're very effective for him. You can almost uh, look at the keyword that you might be uh, trying to get people through to the, the topic of the article or something that you're sharing and just use the keyword as the subject line, or at least a starting place to to keep it short. If it stands on its own, I'm going to try that with my next few emails. I think that's a great idea. Talk a little bit about trimming your list. This is something that um, even though I've been doing email marketing for a long time, I get this feeling in the pit of my stomach when I'm like, okay, it's time to shave off everybody who hasn't engaged with it, hasn't clicked or or opened in the last 90 days. And I know it's going to be a, a big chunk of my list. What guidelines are best for doing that? And what would you say to those of us to kind of calm our, our stomach upset? I would say that, yes, it is painful to remove your hard-earned subscribers because if you've done email marketing for any length of time, you know it's hard to grow an email list. Most of us aren't overnight success when it comes to email marketing. We don't get 20,000 subscribers overnight. So yeah, it's a lot of hard work to grow your list. And so it's painful to clean it. But what can make you feel better about it is that if you don't clean your list, your emails are less likely to reach the inbox. So you could be putting all of this work into your email marketing strategy only to have your emails not reach the inbox. Now, wait a minute. Say that again. If we don't trim our list, we're less likely to get in the inbox. Well, why is that? So when you have people on your email list who aren't engaging, ISPs, internet service providers like Gmail, like Yahoo, like Outlook, they see that and they say, this person is sending emails that their subscribers don't want to receive because their subscribers aren't opening them. They're not clicking on them. So we're going to deliver a few of those, fewer of those emails to the inbox. So when you have unengaged, unengaged subscribers on your list, you're less likely to reach the inbox. It can hurt your email deliverability. So you want to get those people off of your list because it actually harms you to have that person sitting there on your list who is unengaged because like I said, ISPs see that and they think that your subscribers don't want your emails. And an an internet service provider, their number one goal, if you're Gmail, your big goal is to make sure that your customers are getting emails that they want to receive and they're not getting spam content. And so that's why they won't deliver emails if they think their subscribers or they think their customers don't want them. So you just added urgency to, to making sure I do that because I have been putting it off. It's going to increase my deliverability rates. It's going to increase the number of people that are getting in the inbox. Enough said. I'm there. I'm doing it. Uh, And every time I do it, I get past my nausea. And every time I do it, I still have, well, open and click-through rates go through the roof, but the actual quantity doesn't go down. So I'm always relieved about that. Let's talk a little bit about analytics. So for, for those on listening who are uh, ready to dive into analytics or are comfortable with analytics, what reports, or what, what, what do you look at when you want to grade the effectiveness of your email campaigns? Yeah. So there's a few, a few metrics I look at uh, and we've covered uh, some of them already. Open rates, 
I always look at, like I said, take them with a grain of salt, but they're good benchmarks. Those are on the ESP side, but in Google Analytics. Oh, in GA. Yeah. Where do we find those people? Yeah. So in GA, uh, mostly I'm just looking at sales under a specific campaign. Uh, so, you know, I have a goal of either a goal of uh, subscribe, like having someone subscribe to the newsletter. So that's one kind of goal. And another goal is sales. In our case, it would be orders of AWeber, uh, people who sign up for AWeber. For those who aren't familiar with this, I assume that AWeber does this as well, but you're automatically attaching UTM parameters to all of the links in an email that define the campaign, the uh, the medium, which you know in this case is going to be email, and the referrer, which is typically going to be AWeber, or um, uh, you can change that yourself. But that's what tells analytics where this particular visitor is coming from when they click on one of the links in the email. Yes, that's right. Yes, yeah, so we use both AWeber's analytics, and we also use UTM parameters and Google Analytics. And uh, for those listening, you often have to go, and you can tell me if this is true in AWeber, you're going to have to go and check a box that says, you know, add Google Analytics tracking to my email. Otherwise, you have to go in and do it yourself, which can be an advantage. But for those of you that are maybe new to analytics and, and, and evaluating emails in it, Go find that box, check it, um, enter a campaign name if you if you need to for each of those emails, and uh, suddenly you'll have your source medium report light up, you'll have your uh, channel report light up, and you can click on email, and Google Analytics will start to tell you which emails, which visitors are coming, and whether or not they're converting, whether or not they're buying, how much they're spending, uh, starts to give you an idea of how much value to assign to those visitors. So there is a metric that we use. Um, we kind of cooked it in-house, and I'm wondering if you have a better metric for it. It's the revenue per recipient. So we will look at all of the revenue generated by the email channel. Again, we get this right out of Google Analytics. And then we divide that by the number of emails that we sent for that campaign. So uh, we have a new blog post. We send out an announcement on that. We want people to click through and, and read our fantastic content. And when they generate become a lead or one of our e-commerce clients they get a sale we take that revenue and it you know we get an idea of not the value of each visit to our site but the visit of every email that we send and so when you trim your list that number goes up as well because you're leaving on the the best people um, as a percentage is that something that you track or that your customers track is and is there a is there a better metric that you like to tie revenue to email send. I think that's the way to go about it. Um, average revenue per user. Yeah, I think that is, you're doing it all right. Um, so that was how I would recommend it as well. And like you said, when you clean your list, you're going to see that average revenue per user go up because you really have a bunch of people on your list who are not buying anyway. We had a client, uh, I'm going to tell a little story. We had a client that was, that they did um, final signs. And so they had a design tool on their website but it was in flash. This goes back a few years. So it didn't work on mobile. And so they were just ignoring all their mobile traffic. And we said, well, why don't we do a screen hopper? When someone comes on mobile, we'll do a pop-up that says, hey, we're not mobile compatible. Give us your email. We'll send you an email so you can come back and design your sign when you're at your desk. And they uh, had a, a great email campaign and we did the calculations. We knew that they generated $11 a year 
from each person that was on their list. And it was tens of thousands of people. So it was, it was good money. So we were able to track when people took advantage of this uh, and then came back, we were able to calculate when they gave us an email, we were able to say, okay, that's going to put $11 in your pocket over the next year. And so it was really gratifying to be able to tie a dollar value to this campaign. Now, ironically, everybody was, because people check email on, on mobile devices, everybody was coming back on their mobile device again. <laughs> so we, uh, we had to do some, some special things to say, Hey, save this for when you're at your desktop. Do you have any, uh, uh, great success stories where, uh, folks have, um, transformed their business using email? Yes. So I have a friend, her name is Henneke and she has this business called enchanting marketing and email had a really, really profound impact on her business. She does marketing writing advice and she offers classes, online classes on it. And, um, she also will, you know, coach businesses on it, but she set up this email automation series and she promotes it on her homepage and it's a, basically a mini course on how to write great marketing content. And it's these short little emails. And it's around 20 emails in the series. And I think it's about one email a day. I could be wrong on that. But she set up this automation series. And throughout the automation series, she promotes her paid courses. So people are already getting this great value from her free mini course. And then throughout the mini course, she'll say, I also have this paid course and I have this PDF that you can buy. And because people are already getting value from the free stuff, they'll often buy the paid content as well because they know they're going to get value from, from Henneke. And Henneke actually set up this automation series and she only had to set it up once and it runs and runs and runs for her and brings in a ton of revenue. And she told me that she's actually cut down her work week significantly because she can just let this automation series run for her and sell her paid content for her. So it's completely turned around her business, radically increased revenue, and also saves her a bunch of time because it's all automated. That's what we try to set up, that funnel where you're getting people into the process and then using email to nurture them. Before we finish... I want to ask about some of the competitors to email. So on the marketplace with Facebook SMS is a competitor um, or even um, Facebook Messenger or uh, texting where you say, hey, let us uh, communicate with you through Messenger or let us send you texts in exchange for that 10% discount. Uh, the other is the advertising pixel. So the Facebook pixel that allows you to retarget people through advertising on Facebook and uh, Google, et cetera. The messenger open rate is over 90%, which sounds fantastic when we're looking at emails that have between 10 and 40% open rates, depending on how good you are and uh, how targeted your audience is. What are you saying from that side of things? Um, should we be experimenting with some of those things? So I'm not a SaaS marketer who is going to tell you, um, a lot of SaaS marketers will tell you this marketing channel is dead. Instead, use my marketing platform and my marketing channel. And I think that's a sales tactic. Um, they're just trying to sell whatever their platform is. And I don't think there's any marketing channel that's dead. If we just look at email, people have been saying email is going to die for 20 years. And email is still insanely effective. So I won't slam any marketing channel. I think you should definitely experiment with Facebook Messenger. Depending on your business, it could be a great profitable marketing channel for you. 
But my one thought with Facebook Messenger right now is that the reason people are getting such high open rates is because there's very little competition. So in the inbox, there's a lot of competition. So you have to be good to get attention. And one of the advantages of Facebook Messenger is right now there's very little competition, but that's not going to last very long. Uh, So, you know, that 90% open rate isn't going to last very long. And then the other question I have is, uh, do people want to receive promotional messages in Facebook Messenger? So just because they're opening it doesn't mean they're buying. And me personally, I do not want to hear from a business in Facebook Messenger. It's a personal place for me and not it's not somewhere where I want to interact with businesses. But it's been found through research that people want to receive promotional messaging in email. Uh, so the data shows that. And I don't know, you know, for Facebook Messenger, if that's the same. Me personally, I don't want to hear from a business in Facebook Messenger. But like, like I said, I, I would definitely recommend experimenting with it because for one business, you, you know, I can't say what'll work or what won't work. And it may be a great tool for them, but I am skeptical. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we've seen, we've, we've done some experiments with it and we have not yet seen the, the payback. We see the, the you know, the, the, we're assuming the great click-through rates are all over the place, but we're not yet seeing the sales. I think that folks will begin like all, all medium email used to be this way too. I'm not, I don't want to get ads in my email. I don't want to get promotional emails. I think that there'll be more of that in the trust level, but I think we have to work harder because right now it is the one-to-one channel that people, you know, they talk to their friends and their lovers and their grandparents through. So, so if I was to summarize what I learned here, Testable things. So uh, if you're writing small emails, or short emails rather, because somebody told you to write short emails, then experiment with some longer ones. Go ahead and take the time to write an email that gets people into the content and gets them enjoying your content. Test subject lines shorter than 20 characters. Uh, test removing uh, all but one link. That's going to be one of the next things I test. Rush out and start trimming off the fat from your list because you are negatively impacting uh, your access to people's inboxes, um, especially those people that are interested. There's, I, I think, probably the only question I have in my mind is, is it okay to send HTML, even if you're sending a text email with, with no pictures in it, is HTML a disadvantage? Should you only send text emails? No. Uh, so that's a common rumor. Uh, HTML emails... I recommend them over plain text emails almost all of the time. I wouldn't recommend sending plain text emails. There's a rumor out there that plain text emails are more likely to reach the inbox, and that's not true. So HTML emails are much preferable because you can uh, make them look nice and make them branded, and people are often more likely to click on them. But additionally, because plain text emails don't have any HTML in them, you can't track opens and clicks, which is a huge disadvantage. One more question for you. Should we say, should we put their first name as the opening to the email? Like hi, first name? Hi, first name or first name, comma. I think what works better or what I've seen work better is using really provocative or interesting headlines because the hi, first name, it's it's fine to do that. But everyone now, because it's so common, everyone just glances over it. So it's kind of wasted space. What's more effective if you're going to use someone's first name is to put it in the subject line or to put it at the end of a sentence or in the middle of a sentence or at the end of a paragraph because they are unexpected and it feels really personal to have a sentence that's like, did you like this email, Brian? 
Ah, so in the subject line, um, that's, I don't think I've ever tested putting their name in the subject line. Um, and I can imagine my first thought is that feels a little bit, a little bit creepy, I guess, but we never know until we test, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen it really increase open rates quite significantly. Well, tell us if they want to learn more about AWeber. Clearly AWeber is uh, smart about email. Um, how do they get involved? Yeah. Go to aweber.com and that's A-W-E-B-E-R.com and you'll see a 30-day free trial that you can use and that'll give you complete access to all of AWeber so you can test it out and see how you like it. One of the things we're really great at is we like to describe ourselves as powerfully simple because it's both a powerful tool and a simple tool. Uh, but if you'd like to just connect with us on social media, you can connect with AWeber on Twitter, at AWeber, on Instagram, at AWeber, and the same thing, AWeber on Facebook. And if you'd like to connect with me, I'm on LinkedIn as Liz Willits, and uh, my Twitter handle is at Liz Willits. Stay tuned for more landing page optimization once we optimize some exposure for our sponsors. Ready to do a podcast for your business? Make that podcast elevate to enterprise level. Let webmasterradio.fm expedite and execute your podcast to build your brand and broaden your customer base. Webmasterradio.fm has worked with the world's biggest tech brands, Google, Yahoo, and Bing, and have worked with fast-growing brands like ShipStation and GoDaddy. Now it's your turn. Contact brasco at wmr.fm and rush your enterprise-level podcast into production at a very reasonable rate. Email brasco at wmr.fm. Are you looking for the best in WordPress speed, security, and scalability? WP Engine is a digital experience platform for WordPress, powering digital experiences for large brands around the world. With easy-to-use site management tools and powerful do-it-your-way development features, WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. Learn more on WPEngine.com. are now tuned in to the world's largest online radio podcast network for internet marketers looking to dominate the B2B marketplace. Webmasterradio.fm Webmasterradio.fm is home to some of the most respected authorities in all aspects of internet marketing. From SEO to affiliate marketing to social media, e-commerce, mobile marketing, and so much more. Our hosts travel to all stretches of the world and speak to the impact players that are affecting our industry. On air, on demand, and available on every mobile device that you can imagine. This is WebmasterRadio.fm. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. We're back to help digital marketers make great landing pages on LPO. Landing page optimization only on WebmasterRadio.fm. When you get back to the office, our inbox has become our taskmaster. If we want to know what's going on with our team, communicate with our clients and agencies, or handle that return, it's still done through email. Email used to be the place we turned to when we needed to take a break from creating that report, from polishing that design, or from meeting with the team. 
It used to be email to which we turned for a distraction. Today, the inbox drives our daily to-do list. This is true of veterans like me, as well as the younger members of the Slack generation. This is where email gets its power. But instead of suggesting that you review your autoresponder, I'd like to invite you to make your everyday emails a little more personal. Add a bit of wit when you acknowledge receipt of that spreadsheet. Drop a meme into that terse, business-like reply you just banged out. Do something, anything that will make your coworkers glad to get email from you. In the long run, I think this will change the way you write for your prospects and your clients. I'm going to start doing this today. Now, go science something with that personal flair. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.